So what experience taught me? So there's a few things because I did have some formal education around it, too. So me being that outsider and knowing like, hey, how I need to learn something or how I approach something or how it makes me feel to want to give my all and showcase how I need to be valued. I recognize that. And I kind of talk about this with people with the love languages. And I'm like, think of any relationship as like a personal relationship with your like romantic relationships. You are trying to cater to how they want to be catered to. Right. Like, you know that that's what you need to do to make that relationship successful. And like, why aren't we doing that in all our other relationships? Like, if we want it to be successful, we have to cater to the way that the other person is that's receiving the information from us will be responsive and receptive to. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's episode, we have a story that is one of the most incredible trailblazing journeys you will hear. Meet Lauren Fitzpatrick Shanks, who is the founder and CEO of Keep Wool, which is a gamified learning platform for teams that enables employee engagement and retention insights for employers. Super exciting. Lauren, welcome. Thank you, Les, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And you are based in Arizona. Is that right? Yes, I am based in the greater Phoenix area. So just a suburb out, right outside of Phoenix. Beautiful. And it's still not too hot there, right? <laughs> no, it still isn't. It's like in the 90s. But I know people always talk about, oh, my gosh, it gets so scorching hot. But and we'll say, but the humidity isn't there. And they're like, that's not a big deal. I just went to Austin and experienced 90% humidity in 90 degree weather. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. All right. Well, why we love the Phoenix area. We love Arizona. We've been featuring a bunch of founders and investors there. So I'm excited to have you on today. Why don't you begin by just telling us your story? Where'd you grow up? How'd you get to, how'd you get to Arizona? And yeah, take it away. Yeah, so I grew up in Kansas City on the Missouri and the Kansas side. So I lived in both states, grew up there. And I how I made my way to Arizona, though, is I actually went to the University of Kansas and I received an aerospace engineering degree there. I actually was the first black woman to graduate from that program at that university. So that was kind of a big deal. And once I got out of college, for me, all of my family, for the most part, all of my family, with the exception of an uncle, lives in the Kansas City, greater Kansas City area. And my older sister always talked about wanting to get out of Kansas City. And she was going to major in engineering. She actually actually ended up majoring in marketing. And she's been a marketer like that ended up being the passion. And she's been in that space for over 20 years now, but I actually went through with engineering and I was like, I'm getting out of Kansas City. And I did that. And so after Kansas City, I actually moved to Maryland and I lived in Maryland. Yes, Maryland. What part of Maryland? I used to live in Maryland. (laughs) Did you really? We were neighbors. Yeah. I'm sure we weren't neighbors because 
<laughs> because I lived in probably one of the just least interesting parts of Maryland, but I lived in Southern Maryland. And okay. so it was Pax River, Maryland. Okay. Like Lexington Park. It oh, was that's about, very south. That's yes. very far south. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Baltimore. I was in Baltimore. Yes. See, like we always were in Baltimore and in DC and things, but it would take, I was going to say it takes like an hour and a half to get to DC, two hours to get to Baltimore for where, from where I was at. So I was down in Maryland. I took a job with Boeing as a flight test engineer. And while I was there for my, like during my first year, because I actually had interned with Boeing and everything too. And so, but in St. Louis, so I still was in Missouri and I was like, I got to get out of this area. And so I was still, or I interned there. And during my first year while I was still there, I had, during my senior year of college, I was forced to (laughs) submit for this competition, this international aircraft design competition. So it was a part of our senior design course, but it wasn't a requirement for graduation to actually submit for the competition. But my professor knew that grades really mattered to me. And so I was like, I'm done. Here it is. I'm turning it in. And he's like, well, you need to submit for competition. I was like, I don't want to submit for competition. That means three more weeks of work. Come on, Lauren. We know you're an overachiever. You are an aerospace engineering major. We know We know that you're an overachiever. Come on. So what did you do? You submitted? So yes, I did. (laughs) Yes, yes, I did. And it was because he threatened to give me, he was like, if you don't submit, you can't get an A. And so I was like, oh, I know I killed this and it's a B and I want to be done with school. (laughs) And I was like, submitting meant three more weeks of work after graduation. And I was like, like I'll take the B we're done I've got a job no big deal and he was like I'm gonna give you a C and I go no you didn't say you sounds like you can't do that that sounds like illegal or unethical or something but anyway like he was like I'm gonna get and I was like no you can't do that he's like nope I'm gonna give you a C he's like you have the choice so I'm gonna give you a C so yes I'm an overachiever I'm competitive I'm like no okay fine and so I took the extra three weeks and I submitted it And come to find out, so this was during my first year working at Boeing in Maryland, and I won the competition. So first black woman. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I won it. It was international design competition. First black woman to win that competition. So the the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics design. What did you design? What was it? What is that? (laughs) It was a business jet. And so the name of it was AirFit. So my last name's Fitzpatrick. So AirFit. And I actually won that competition. And that completely like just threw me in this trajectory of like having my own opportunity, like being able to create my own opportunities. And so when Boeing found out that I won this competition, they allowed me to pick where I wanted to work. Like, what type of project do you want to work on? So I decided to get on their Phantom Works projects, which are like their black projects, all secret all that stuff. And so that allowed me to spend a year in California. So I went from Maryland to California. And then I came back to Maryland after that year assignment. And I ended up bouncing companies because I am very much a millennial and we don't stay at companies for a very long time. (laughs) And so went from Boeing, went to Northrop and went from Northrop to then Lidos, which so all these are like defense contracting companies. 
I, and, by the way, I know them all, but so I mean, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're mentioning this because like probably not a lot of our listeners are familiar with these companies. These are like the big defense yes. contractors. Today, yes. That companies. Yeah. And I was all like during these, I was always in flight tests or some type of test. So I got to like be with the aircraft. I got to be on the Harry S. Truman ship and like catapulted off of it and landed like trapped onto it with the within these big cargo ships. So spent three weeks on these aircraft carriers, all this stuff. So it was very what cool. An incredible, no pun intended, launch yes. to your career. I mean, this is incredible, Lauren. Yes. By the yes. way, we glossed over a couple things there that I just want to say. I mean, the first of all, the first black woman to graduate from the University of Kansas Aerospace Engineering Department. Yes. What was that like? That's that's such an accomplishment. So it was one of those instances. So I'm going to be very real with you, Les. I did not have any interest in aerospace engineering. So let me take it back to high school for a second. Like how I got here. (laughs) Please do. Please do. So (laughs) in high school, there was this aviation youth academy that was free. So there was a black gentleman at my church that I went to. And he was trying to create this pipeline of pilots, of black pilots. And he created this youth academy to help black kids get their pilot's license. I never wanted to fly, Les. <laughs> never. Like, that you know, was no, never you, an interest. Like, you didn't even think it was cool, like, to even just try it? Or you, like, because I, like, I like I don't ride on helicopters. So, yes. like, I get it. Like, I'm afraid of helicopters. Well, these are small Cessna planes that you're practicing on. So, they're, okay. like, it feels like it's, like, a paper plane almost. I like, I mean, I mean, it's. Well, that's what did it, though. Same kind yeah. of thing. Like, it wasn't, like, necessarily a fear of flying. It was yeah. just, like, no, thank you. No, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, like, this is. But for me, no, I didn't even like it wasn't even a, oh, this is cool factor. It wasn't somewhere that I thought my career trajectory would go. It wasn't something like I want to own an aircraft, which that has changed. I want a I didn't want to own an aircraft or anything. But now I do want to have my own private like (laughs) business jet type of light. Like I don't want to have the aircraft hangar and things, but I want a subscription to one of those. You should get one of those. Uh, what did you? You should get. Oh yeah, the net jets or whatever. Yes. Well, wait. Well, why don't you get one of those? Uh, the business fits or whatever. Like, get your own air you fits. Your, yeah. Air fits. Yeah. I completely wanna... designed one, built it out. No, it's so costly. And so for me, I'm like, okay, this isn't practice. I don't want to be a pilot. I don't want that job to be my job. Like, what is this going to be? But my mom is like, it's free. You're doing it. And so I was enrolled in this like air like youth academy so i learned like i was learning how to fly i've flown a few cessna jets and things like that and so my it's 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 really it's really crazy i gotta tell you we met we met just for our audience we met adventure madness none of this came out i'm so now i'm like so intrigued this is amazing (laughs) this is great and so yeah so when it went to be i was always good at math so always good at math I went into I'm talking to my dad who worked at General Motors. And so he was always surrounded by engineers. But he was his background was in HR and like in teaching and things like that. But he was like, I see you're really good at math. You need to do engineering. And my counselor at my school was also like, yeah, you should do engineering. But I, for me, I was like, I was just going to major in math, which they're like, well, what are you going to do with that? And I go, I don't know, but there's lots to do with math. And they're like, you need to do engineering. Which, mind you, there's so much I could have done with math. And I feel like they should have said, like, you could do this or that. And like, but they didn't. They just were fixated on you're going to do engineering. So then I had already decided I was going to KU. I, I paid for my I got scholarships and paid for my own way through college. 
So I decided I'm going to KU. So I'm looking at their curriculum and I didn't know anything about any engineering programs. And I'm looking at like mechanical. Do I want to do that? Not really. Like in my mind, I'm like, that's cars. I don't want to do anything that with cars. That sounds boring. Yeah. And so then I'm looking at it and it's like chemistry. I sucked at chemistry. I don't want to do chemical engineering. Electrical? Who knows? I don't know anything about that. And so architectural, I'm not an artist. I can't draw anything. So I'm going through all these. I'm like, well, the only thing I know anything about is aerospace. Uh, oh, because of the program. Because of the program. Yeah. So I defaulted to that and I got in. And so after my first semester, I'm very studious. So I get a 4.0 GPA. All is great. I go to the diversity coordinator there and I'm like, I want to change my major. I cannot stand this. And she's like, really? And I'm like, I don't have any interest. I feel like it's going to pigeonhole me. So this is really good for the rest of our conversation, how I've gotten to where I'm at. But my thought process was this is going to pigeonhole me. I won't be able to like get out of this space. I really want to do. And I was talking about going to mechanical because I now know it's not just cars. And I'm like, okay, you've taken some electives. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, it could broaden my horizons. And so what she tells me is, oh, yeah, you know, freshmen change their major all the time. No big deal. And it's not surprising because, you know, no, no black woman has graduated from this program before. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Wait, what? <laughs> and yeah. so I am probably one of the most competitive people I know. And I was like, challenge accepted. Like, nice. I'm doing this. So it was hard. And with my program, I literally was the only minority. So there was no other races or ethnicities in my class. And then I was one of two women. And so it was very much just like this. It was very it was hard. And it was a challenge for like emotionally, socially, like from just mentally for the work being hard. And so it was very much a difficult process and things. But. I made it through. Like I said, I had internships all summer. Each summer afterwards, got a great GPA and things like that. So I, I was going to say, Lauren, you said, oh, I made it through. It sounds like you blew the doors off of the program. I mean, it sounds like you did pretty well. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I explain it and look back, like I'm like, yeah, yeah. you did that well. <laughs> it, yeah. it went well. What, so, what, yeah. If we just press pause there for a second and double click on that, what, what advice would you give? I'm sure there's entrepreneurs out there that are in 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 a similar situation, you know, breaking mm-hmm. odds against diversity and not just entrepreneurs, but I mean, even, even like in college and college programs, yeah. and things, what advice would you give? You're such a trailblazer. What, would you, what, how would you encourage other people that are feeling that or in that sort of situation? I think what I would say, because it was hard and lots of times the easiest thing is to give up. But then I think I feel like, because there was an instance where it was my junior year and I'm like, this is, terrible. I don't want to do this. It's so hard. And I called my mom and she was like, come home. It's fine. Like, take a break. You don't have to like, she literally is like, quit. She knows her daughter. And so saying like, quit. And I'm like, no, let me show you like, I'm not a quitter. And so I think the hardest thing and something that's like for anyone who is feeling like they don't belong in that space or are different from everyone else there or something like that, that we constantly will hear like, you just have to push through the adversity. You just have to keep going. And it's like easier said than done. But it really is that like 
there is so much on the other side of being that trailblazer and going through those spaces and then what you can give back, how you can make it better for others and things like that, which I am on the DEI board for the Department of Engineering at my university. And so like, it's just ways that you are able to give back from that perspective. But I do really think that if you have the mindset of, if not me, then who? And if I can't, like, I don't go and change this, how can I, like, am I just going to wait for others? Am I going to miss out on something that is meant for me and things like that? And so my advice is, number one, find the people that you can really talk to that know, like for my mom, she's like, okay, I know if I say this, she's going to, she's going to snap out of this little moment that she's in and figure things out. But also mentorships, like, mentors. I had an advisor. So that diversity coordinator at the school, she also knew like how she was saying like, yeah, it's no big deal. And I mean, it's not surprising. This is another black woman telling me this. And she's like, not surprising. Like, you know, people switch and no black woman has graduated from this. So it's just, it's, I think it's like, it's a lot of psychology, obviously there, but I think having mentors and just those people you can lean on. So I, even with myself and being a founder, I have advisor, like I have a full on advisory board. I have so many mentors, but I'm also a mentor. And so I think that's the biggest space I currently and to any of the listeners out there that are going through something like this in school or out of school and just need that sounding board or just being able to put things into perspective. I think mentorship is so important and I'm always open to be that type of mentor for someone. But being able to talk through it is, I think, the biggest way you can overcome those things. It's terrific advice. And it's uh, thank you for sharing that, by the way. And it's also a really generous offer. So we'll put a link to your contact info in the show notes. Yes, uh, absolutely. It's wonderful. So, all right. So, I mean, you've got this unbelievable career in aerospace that's launched. Mm -hmm. You're just like, you know, just knocking down every barrier, winning awards, you know, as a black millennial woman, just Mm -hmm. like doing great things in the industry. And you spent about a decade, is that right? In yeah, with I like five different Fortune 500? 14 years. So 14, 14 years, years. Yeah. With five Fortune 500 companies. And so I did go from Maryland. So Maryland, California, Maryland. And then I came to Arizona. So we relocated to Arizona for my husband's job. So he's also, he works at Boeing. He's an electrical engineer. And so- Did you, you yeah. two met at Boeing? No, is we it- actually met. So he gets cool. to- We met while I was interning, my first summer interning at Boeing, and he, we were in the same, we both were geeks and nerds and Uh always trying to stay ahead of the curve. So we took a summer school class and it was an economics class and we were both in that same economics class. Power couple. I got him his internship the next summer at Boeing. And like, I'm like, you just like, I'm responsible for your entire career. (laughs) As I look at him, like, I've made you what you are right now. (laughs) So, yeah, so we relocated for his job. So he's been with there ever since. But, yeah, so we relocated for his job and got here to Arizona. And I, when I got here to Arizona, I was still with Lidos. And then, but that was remote. So I understood remote work in 2016. Well, before the pandemic and things, like I was 100% remote. Our team was very much remote. And so did that. But then I, I actually wanted to be back in person with people again. Were so, you still doing this, like, like, I, I, you mentioned being this flight test engineer. Yeah. 
Were you still doing that? Like, no, that became, no, no, no. Well, that's not something you could do remote. So I was more okay. so in the because you have to actually go up in the aircraft. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. M- moved over was doing more system testing, more pro- program and project management aspect of things. But then I wanted to get back in person with people, and I went to Honeywell and got there. And this was probably like where I started to have my shift of mindset of like, what am I going to do? How can I change how these different workplaces look and how we interact, how we're able to support each other? And so I got into Honeywell and it was just not a right culture fit for me. And it was one of those situations where they were really looking to build up. I was brought in. It was I was working for another woman and she was like, I want you to be my succession plan. And I got in there and I was like, there's no other women around. Like, what's going on? She's like, well, this is why I've like brought you like I want to make sure that we have these type of things. But it wasn't just on her team. I'm like walking in and I'm like, there's not <laughs> like, where is everyone? And so that was a big deal. And for me, I'm like, I I felt like I was taking steps back because the company that I was at prior to, we had a team of a lot of women. And so I'm like, this is what I want to see and this is what I want to be around. And so I went from there and it was at Intel. I also, part of it was I really wanted to get, in, I was a principal engineer there and my whole career path was I want to be in program management. I want to get on the technology side of things and get into tech. And so then I ended up at Intel and I was working software development and program management. And so there was like a path of where I wanted to be at. And I wanted to get like, I was like, aerospace, yeah, I felt, and I told you before, the pigeonholed. I didn't want to be pigeonholed. I could tell that tech was where it was at. I wanted to understand software, how to build it, how to lead those type of teams. And so that was really my transit, like the main transition point from Honeywell to Intel was like, okay, I get to be in this space and at one of these tech companies. Good for you for having the foresight and the career, you know, career ambition to do that. Because I would say that takes a lot of confidence to be able to make a pivot like that. And what was it like in the transition going from aerospace to tech? Yeah. So when I went from aerospace to tech, I actually went into Internet of Things and I was focused on the industrial space. So I actually came from like shop floors with working flight tests and things like that. So it wasn't too big a differentiator of understanding like, what are we creating a solution for? What type of space are we creating a solution for? So I'm like, I've been in this space. I know how this space works. And so for me, I always had that like that ambition to want to be a people leader and to actually lead these different projects and things. And so I one thing that I at least can pat myself on the back that I think I'm really good at is being able to process information very quickly and then understanding how to disseminate it and work with different people to meet them where they're at to make sure I get the best output from them. And so I was a program manager manager and I was responsible for a lot of different teams, a big department underneath me as well. And one of the things I kept on hearing from folks were like, you're not like these other program managers, like because the main responsibility for it is like budget, cost, you know, schedule and delivery. And so they're not thinking about you as a person and how to get most out of you because they don't directly report. You don't directly report to me, but your output depends on how I look to yeah, I report to and they did shit. there just wasn't that person like how am I gonna I can't threaten this person about like you're gonna get a demerits or I'm not gonna promote you or anything like that like you really have to have that 
human connection and connectivity and understanding with that person. And there was just that major gap, but it's something that's not taught to people in general. And really, even outside of this like program management space, even those people leaders who have direct report, they don't t- get this interpersonal, like human, le- like human skills trick. Yeah. I'm super interested to peel that back a little bit because, you know, I've often heard, you know, people will say like, oh, well, you learn leadership by doing it or you learn like, like, you know, when I was an infantry platoon leader, it's like, here's 50 inf- infantry soldiers that you have to go lead. Go like you're right. 22 years old. Here's 55 people. And you got to like, you kind of learn it by, you know, by just trial and error. In, yeah. Thrown yeah, <laughs> into the furnace. But like, how did you that like you never had a, an experience like that? That's like extreme. But you had this intuition and know how. Where did you learn it or what experiences taught you? So what experience taught me? So there's a few things because I did have some formal education around it, too. So me being that outsider and knowing like, hey, how I need to learn something or how I approach something or how it makes me feel to like want to give my all and showcase how I need to be valued. I recognize that. And I kind of talk about this with people with the love languages. And I'm like, think of any relationship as like a personal relationship. With your like romantic relationships, you are trying to cater to how they want to be catered to, right? Like, you know that that's what you need to do to make that relationship successful. And like, why aren't we doing that in all our other relationships? Like, if we want it to be successful, we have to cater to the way that the other person is that's receiving the information from us will be responsive and receptive to. And so for me, that was something that I would keep in mind. And I would think about it when I'd have specific leaders that I'm like, you're not showing up for me in the way I need to be shown up for. And I had a really great leader when I was working at Northrop Grumman that I just felt like he could see me. Like, and I never, and I didn't express it. Like he just kind of had that. And he, funny enough, he was military. And I was wondering. He was military. (laughs) And he could see, and he's just like, I see that this is happening. I want to take you under my wing. I want to move you to this team. I want to put you in the position. I want to protect you in these different ways, help train you and skill you up. So he was like one of my first examples. And that was three years, two and a half years, three years into my career that I'm like, okay, this is the type of leader I want to be. Like he, I didn't have a conversation with him or something like that. He saw, and he just like, I'm seeing you being receptive. Let's talk. Help me understand more about you. And what's funny, I've never said that to anyone less. And like, as I'm thinking about, I'm like, Hey, you get to this is new. Like no one's ever heard this on any. Oh, you heard it here first. Heard it here first. In the Rockies. Yeah, but he was that that was a pivotal moment. But then about three years later, I ended up getting my MBA and I got in operations management and there was two classes surrounding behavioral like psychology and behavioral management of people. And it really I really just delved into this because I'm like for MBAs, you're really talking about running a business, leading a business. And I often tell people like an MBA does not teach you how to start your own company. So that's one thing. It does not, but will help you like on running someone else's company or something that's already been established. But that was, those were some of my favorite classes. And I felt like I always cared about what people think, thought. I always wanted to have the conversations with people. I'm very curious, want to get to know them. And so for me, that was just kind of an like from that, 
moment with that leader that I had, plus my MBA education. And then just seeing like how people were responsive to me, it was more inherently ingrained. And but it did it took repetition and it took like feedback from people, which requires you asking open ended questions to get that and then being able to just listen and be receptive of it, not try and refute or combat it or debate it, but like absorb it. And so that I think was my major thing of I saw how I was showing up as one of those program managers and one of those, they call them servant leaders, but I like to call it service leaders because you're not really a servant to them, but you're providing them a service. And so I would provide in that and I'm like, well, I want them to make me look good. So I need to figure out how do I help them make themselves look good too? How do I make it easier for them? Like, let me see what motivates them and get them to what. And so for me, my leaders would say like, how, well, how are your projects doing so much better? Or why are people so happy here and doing this? I'm like, well, it's because I'm understanding what they need. They, they want to, they want to help me. It's not it's not aerospace. It's It's not not rocket rocket science. science. (laughs) It's not rocket science. And so I'm like, (laughs) they like me. They want to help me. And so it's that main thing of like people will do more and will go over the top. Like if I have a short deadline, I'm like, I need it immediately. I'm more likely to get a yes because they're like, I like you and I want to see you succeed and I want to help you because you've wanted the same for me and done the same for me. So that's, I think, was the main difference. Wait, Lauren, it sounds like this is starting to become the inspiration for like a startup idea or a venture or something almost. Because you're, we're talking about, so you're at Intel still and you're starting to have these revelations. And also you start to discover this major problem that maybe we're, not anyone in, in, in particular, like a company that you're working for or anything, but like corporate mm-hmm. America having a much larger problem about how they're going about talent development, you're starting to come to this realization, right? Yes, every single moment, every moment. And I think the big catalyst for it was that I started thinking about, because I job top so much, right? I always was like new to the team. I always was that newbie. And it would take the months and months to be able to build those mutual beneficial working relationships. And they typically only happened with a few select team members. And that minimized like my loyalty towards the company, my loyalty towards like the entire team. And so for me, I'm like, how do we build those relationships that like for me with my project teams and my program teams, like I'm building those because that's making me look good. But how do we do it so that for us who are on our direct teams and the environment that we're spending day in, day out, that we build those and that we want to see each other be successful and know how to support each other. And so for me, I was like, it does. uh, I'm an engineer. I was always surrounded by engineers. We're not the greatest communicators. Like they'll say that like a lot of us are very, I'm an introvert, like believe it or not, like a lot of us are very introverted. And it's just one of those things where it's like, hey, but we all, if we're asked questions and if someone seems like they care about us, we'll lean in. But if it doesn't seem like someone's going to lean in with us, I'm not leaning in. I don't want to do that. So making these teams, making these people feel more mm-hmm. included, feel like they belong yes. and putting programs in place to, you know, geared around their retention yes. and their and their and success. So we're, right? And I we're mean, doing it all starting by creating those human relationships. And so with keep well, it, so for me, 
I had that. I had the experience when we came back from the pandemic. I actually take it. I have two kids and I have a pandemic baby. So he's born April 2020. <laughs> and at the beginning of oh all of my. it. His, His name. name is AC. And so he's now AC, three. All right. And so I had already planned a nine month maternity leave. So shout out to Intel because they have great like maternity leave programs and stuff. So I'd already planned like this nine month maternity leave. I had already been working on Keep Wool. So Keep Wool started out as this physical card game. And it was based on building relationships in that sense of being able to ask those different kind of questions and doing that in an efficient manner. Like, Getting, and these are personal relationships. So your social relationships, a friendship, but also your romantic relationship and really getting to build that quickly. Well, once we got to the pandemic and I came back after working for the after working over the summer, like I had actually built out the digital platform of it because I had all these ideas of what I wanted to do. And then COVID and I'm like, oh, well, let's figure out how we do this digitally. And we had been doing it with different teams and people, we, we had these complimentary game nights, like on Friday nights. And so random public people would just come to the game, like on Zoom. And was this for the company or were you, so you left no, Intel? No, I was still do, with Intel. You, still with Intel, but you But I like, had this like, cause this was physical card games. And so this, I'm just like, okay, let's convert this to digital. Let's have this type of situation where people come and it's a game night. Everyone's at home. They're not meeting new people. Let's have a space for them to meet new people. So people would come to these and I kept on hearing, oh my gosh, I need this at work. Oh, I just started this new job and like we're all remote. I don't know how to get to know people. Oh, like, and so I was like, that's cute. Corporate's not going to play games. What are you talking about? Like, this is what I'm thinking in my mind. And so, and this is 2020. So this isn't the way, like, yeah, you could play a game, but you're only going to do it once. And it's not going to be very impactful of really getting to like, the nitty gritty, like vulnerability still wasn't a big thing. Like the openness, like that's not, that's not happening. And so I was like, you're cute. That's not going to happen. And so, but then there were three companies that reached out to me and they're like, Hey, we had an employee that said they attended one of your sessions. They thought it was really great. Would you be open to doing sessions for us? So then I was like, sure. And they're like, how much does it cost? And I'm like, Oh God. And so, like, oh, I had to come uh, up with, like, some pricing and stuff. Let me send you my price yes. sheet that I'm going to go make. Right, exactly. That's how it happened. Like, literally all this yep. is happening on the fly list. And so I'm like, oh my okay, let me come do this. So I do the sessions and they go great. And they're like, well, do you have any kind of subscription setups for these type of things? I'm like, do I? Well, yeah, I mean, we have them in the works. Yeah, this is. And so we kind of just propelled this thing to where we got this set up. And so then we're like, okay, there's packages for these different games. Well, then we're working with companies. They're like, well, we're getting really great insights out of this. Is there a way for us to be able to measure this? And like, we're getting some goals that are coming out of this. Is there a way for us to be able to fill those gaps and like give them content to learn from those goals? And I'm like, your pilot customers are just writing your roadmap really? for you for this Because I'm an aerospace engineer. What the heck do I know about learning and development, talent development? I don't. And so it literally was like, we're, and so I'm building this with people who are like, I see the problem. I see what we need and I see what this is doing. So ultimately what we ended up getting is, and it, it, I mean, the evolution of it all, because this was all, so I said this happened in 2020 and we converted it to this digital platform. And then in 2021, I actually quit my job at Intel May, 2021, and then was like building this out. And so 
I call 2022 my year of discovery. So we landed some really big pilot clients. And it was Bayer Pharmaceuticals Mayo Clinic in the launch consulting. So we landed these really big pilot clients. And I was like, this is my year of discovery. And we just ended up building out this end-to-end platform. And so what we have now with Keep Wool, which for everyone wondering, what is Keep Wool? What is that? Yeah, let's talk about it. It stands for Keep Wondering Out Loud. And so it's an interactive platform that emphasizes cohort-based learning, but amongst direct teams. And so it uses AI-enabled gamification because I told you all I am competitive. And so what I knew from like my psychology background and everything is like, if you give people rules to a game in an objective of this is how you can win if you do these different things, and you're coming in and you're like, this is a game. First of all, everyone's going to play to those rules. They're going to call people out on not playing to their those rules. And no one wants to lose. So even if you're not super competitive, you still don't want to lose. And so you're going to put in some sort of effort. And so for us, we're like, we are going to develop this game and gamification. We're going to use it to engage, develop. So like upskill talent and then retain them because they're now feeling valued. They're engaged. They're, they, their leadership now knows this is where they want to go and how we, how I can help them get there. And then it also is humanizing the leaders because guess what? The leaders are playing the games with the team, their team. And so now they're viewed as not just a manager, but a person and a human who's also looking to develop as well. And so we ended up like keep well, it's all backed by science and we've designed it to be fun, but we're doing this while providing actionable insight and people analytics that leaders can use to champion change, improve team effectiveness, but also elevate that company culture. And so, yeah, that's kind of the brilliant. Change. I love it. And you know, I got well, you, by the way, you just glossed over something else <laughs> that is like, yeah, May, 2021, I quit my job yeah. at Intel. Like, what, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, what a brave, like, I just can't even imagine. Like, what? tell us about that. Decision. There was something that was happening at Intel and it was on the direct team that I was on. And been having trying to have these different conversations with my leader and getting her to really understand this is what I need, this type of support I need, this is where I want to go, how you can help. Like, I'm giving her the playbook on here is what you can do to make sure Lauren excels, but also to make sure she will stay here with you. And it was obliviousness, frankly, like just not getting it. And so there was an instance I had always had a plan. So I said I quit in May. I had a plan because things were going a certain way with Keep Wool. And I was like, oh, I need to raise some capital. I need to do these different things. So I had this like plan and I had some stock that was vesting in July and everything. So I was like, okay, I'm going to quit in July. And there was something that happened in March. And I was and she was trying to put something else on my plate that didn't make sense, that I didn't want to do. And I'm trying to explain to her, like, this is why I don't want to do it. And why. And it was from reading the book Essentialism. And so it's like that art of saying no. And I was like, this is why I don't want to do it and what I don't want. And I came and I said, like, she was trying to put this next thing on my plate. And I was like, no, don't do it because I quit. Like, I'm like, I quit. And she's like, what? What? And she goes. And this is March. And I said, I mean, I'm, I just need you to know that I am leaving. I plan on leaving. I can leave two weeks from now or I could stay till May. Like, you let me know what you want. And she's like, well, can you stay till May? Like, 
there's all this. So I had to hire my replacement and all these other things and tra- start training them up and things like that, which I had already had, like I had all the booklets for it because I had to do it before maternity leave too. And so like, I was like, okay, here's playbook. But it was that, it, like, it was one of those things of frustration in like, okay, my solution is needed. Like it's needed right now. Let me go do it. Like, stop playing games. Stop trying to figure out how to juggle two things at once. And I did it. And I boot, like, why I say, like, 2022 was the year of execution. That we didn't raise any funds until 2022. And this was after we already had gotten some pilots. So I bootstrapped this and, like, got a key lock out on my house. So a home equity line of credit and all the stuff to, like, I'm like, okay, I'm going all in. I'm like, this out. That's definitely going all in, yes. let me tell you. Yes. And so then wow. 2022 and for getting our pilots, because it was kind of crazy. I was like, I need some big names. I need some big logos. I really want to prove this out in the space where I came from. And I knew that enterprise corporate America was like, you need these solutions. Like you're so big. People feel like numbers. How can we? And it's probably the last thing you said when you walked out to the door to your boss. I got a game for you. Just wait a year. <laughs> and so. I did. So Intel, <laughs> yeah. Intel, yes. We, did you? Yes. Did you? We oh, didn't come back man. to that team, but we did. It was a higher yeah. executive <laughs> team that we did it through. Oh, and like, but people at Intel knew what I was working on. My manager even knew what I was doing. And I was like, my business is taking off. I, I need to focus more on this. You weren't hearing me with what I was saying. I need it and support. Because I could have juggled it had the side hustle type of thing going on for longer etc but i was like you're not allowing me the space to be able to have my work-life balance and for my balance to go work on my side thing and so i need to cut these ties but that was the major pivotal point and when we went and got these big name pilots it was one of those things where i was trying to sell i never sold to enterprise like my background's not in selling and i was not having success because i didn't know like these people, it was brand, what we do is brand new. Like no one has done talent development in this way. And so it was like, how do, like, we don't have any data. It's like, like we've done these little team building things and things like that, but we don't have any data. They're like, so when I'm going to these big companies and talking to their human resource people or their chief learning officers and stuff, they're like, I don't know. And so I'm like, what if we did a pilot? Like, would you, and they're like, yes, because we love what you're saying and how the platform looks and stuff. So yeah, we'll do a pilot. And so I didn't, need, and I'm just on a call and I'm like, yeah, let's do a pilot. And they're like, yeah, send us a proposal on how it looks and like what it'd be laid out at to do the pilot. I didn't know what that, like, it literally was off the cuff of like, can we do a pilot? And the first one with, was with Bayer. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go ask other people that I'm talking to. And so I was like, Man, can we do a pilot? <laughs> And you still, so you're like running these pilots now. This is the year of execution is still ongoing or behind so, you? So it's or the like year of discovery. Race, so this is year of discovery. Oh, the year of discovery. So this okay. is 2022. Okay. In, in, in February of 2022, I started the first pilot and they lasted, some were three months, some were six months. And so I started the first pilot. I didn't even know. So we collect metrics in five key areas. So engagement, innovation, team dynamics, cultural intelligence, and job satisfaction. What you can hear from those five things is if you're missing any of those components, like even one of them, someone's going to leave your company because they're not going to be happy with something. So we knew. I have a couple former bosses. You should, I should pass you their info. It's exactly right. I feel like every job I've ever left, this one is, of these it's re- one of those five things or multiple of those exactly. five things. Exactly. Yeah. And so 
But HR never had a way to be able to measure this. And so and quantify it and then being able to showcase like we're losing so much money for this. So this is where my engineering mind, my mathematics, I'm like data, data, data. I want to like, we need to turn games into data. We need to turn conversation into data. How can we get the people analytics from this? But making it not seem corporate-y, not seem like your traditional HR training and compliance stuff, but make it fun. And so that was my big thing. So we had these five areas and I was coming in because I was like, here's my hypothesis. We want to do a pilot. Here's my hypothesis. I think if we play these games and we play on this regular cadence and this is the theme, like your focus area, you're looking to, because they came and they were like, here's our challenges. And we said, and here's our goals. And I was like, here's the pathway, like the six games that you should play to improve those. And I was like, my hypothesis is, I think that we'll improve these by at least 10%. So I was like, 10%. We came out of that first pilot and the lowest increase was 20%. And that was for job satisfaction. We actually reduced their retention rate by 20%. Yes. And then the highest was engagement. We improved it by 49%. That's how bad their engagement was. And engagement was by the each individual employee's definition of engagement. So we do this big oh, wow. assessment of saying, how do you define engagement? And on a scale of one to 10, where do you think your team is at? And then at the end of the six, six pathways, the six game pathways, we do it again. And like, because you're doing all the training and you're doing the action plans and all these different things that are going with it. And it increased 49%. So this isn't us saying like, here's what engagement is and how are you doing? It's the employees saying, this is how I define it. And this is how we've improved it by going through Keep Wolves process. I mean, the return on investment here, like, like. Engagement, if your employees are, aren't engaged, like, mm-hmm. what what are they doing at work? Right. If they, oh, they like, and, and it was like. Are they surfing the internet? I mean. And no, but that was for real. And during this, like, new yeah. normal and, like, so many people being hybrid and remote, and that was the biggest fear of leaders are, like, what are they doing at home? Are they doing anything? And so we got those pilots, and we were getting results in. And so I had applied to Techstars. And I got into Techstars in May, like I got the notification in May. We got into Techstars, so this is May 2022. And I had had different advisors, like we had gotten different grant programs. I was in different mentoring things. And so I had an advisor that had knew a venture capitalist and she made an introduction. Well, she had made the intro, but we weren't able to set up the meeting until like two months later. And so this was in June, the end of June. And we already had gotten accepted into Techstars. And so when I get into this meeting with her and I'm pitching what we're doing, and we also have this validation like, oh, you're about to go through an accelerator and one of the top accelerators. She literally invested, like she decided I'm going to invest in this 15 minutes into the call. Like she knew, she understood our space and everything we were doing. She's pre-seed investor. We already had one of the pilots go, like we know we had two, three pilots going at that moment. And she's like, I see it. I you in like 15 minutes in. And so then it just, by the way, that Lauren, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, 15 minutes into any conversation with you, it's like, yeah, what do you need? I mean, like you just, you have it. You have that. Thank you. You're fundable. Yeah. Thank you. And so then we ended up in, so in 2022, we raised $1.1 million. We're now in our year of execution. So we completed all our pilots. We're about to finalize closing out the development of our V2. So the end in like, because we had an MVP all last year. So now we've got the product 
We're actively selling it. And so we have a bunch of companies in the pipeline. These are enterprise contracts. So we have a few that we're looking to close in the next three to six months. But it's been a whirlwind. I have a team. I went from a team of one. I'm a solo founder to I have seven W2 employees and we have about like 20 people total working on Keepwell from contracting standpoint and W2 employees. And so it's like woo, whirlwind. Oh my goodness. And you managed, so as a team of one, like you managed like the, were you contracting development? Were you writing, slinging code yourself, a combination yeah. of both? What all? What when I made the initial MVP while I was still working at Intel and stuff, it was 60 hours and it was me and another colleague that I worked with that we got this put together in three weeks time. So it took, we were clocking the time for it because I was paying him a little bit too. And so we're going back and forth. It took us 60 hours. And so we co-developed it from there. And then for the next year, when I was like, when I was getting all this stuff and we were seeing people coming to us, I'm like, okay, I have to be able to build this quickly. And so I've been working with my dev team for two years now. And so in my dev team started as two guys. It was just two individuals and we've been together for two years. They've grown out their team and like it's just been very, very fulfilling and hard, but fun. (laughs) What a path. What a story. I mean, it's incredible. What are you looking forward to in the future? What's next? What's exciting? Yeah. So what's next right now? Like for this, we've dubbed this year our year of execution. So last year, discovery, this year of execution. So for us, we are like sales, 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 sales. Everything is sales. Everything is like customer success. We just rolled out because there's a component of Keep Wool that has facilitation that goes with it. So we train, we train facilitators internal to organizations. So we train trainers, then they train people throughout. So we work with like learning and development departments as company. But we also have been able to do this cool thing, which is create this gig economy work for organizational development leaders and like HR people. And so we have this facilitation certification that allows people to do the team building portion of the Keep Wool activities with these different organizations. So we we work with boutique consultants, bigger consulting firms, individuals that like provide coaching and training and things like that. And so we have a consultant plan, but we also have like our enterprise plan. And then for us, because some of our enterprise customers, they're like, well, can we use Keep Wool facilitators? And we're like, how are we going to be able to scale this without like having all these people on our board. So we have a directory of facilitators that we like, they don't have to go source jobs or anything. And they get paid $500 to like play a game with folks for an hour, hour and a half. Wow. So how can we, what can we do to encourage maybe people that are listening to the podcast, if they want to get involved, what can they do? How can they get involved? Yeah. So that is one thing that is really cool about it. So we have monthly informational sessions about Keep Wool facilitation training program. And so our program, it's a two-day program and you become you become an expert in our platform and on how to fa- facilitate our methodology and facilitate games. And so we have those informational sessions monthly and then we have our facilitation training programs once every month. And so they're open to anyone who comes in and to get on our directory, obviously, there's a threshold of criteria and stuff like that that you have to meet to like get on our directory. And then we provide you jobs and things. But you're able to attend any of those monthly sessions, come hear a little bit more about it and all the ins and outs of what we're doing. And then the actual facilitation workshops run once a month as well. But if you go to our website, keepwol.com, and it's keepwol.com, and go to, if you click on at the top, it says, 
facilitator informational, I think it says, or like something about facilitator at the top. (laughs) Yeah, there's a link there, but you click on that and then you're able to see all the things for the upcoming sessions and the training sessions. But we also provide like complimentary game sessions for people. We do these on a monthly cadence too. So for people to just come in and experience, like what is this platform all about? Because for us, it it is about the experience because they walk away from it and they're like, my gosh, I just got all these type of insights with people I never met in like 60 minutes. All the things that I keep from people I work with day in, day out. That's great. So, Very cool. So at this point in the episode, I usually have two more questions. One is kind of like a philosophical one and one is a personal one. But for you, I have three. I'm sorry. If we could power through. Power through. Power through. (laughs) Because you just, you've been, it's been so inspiring for me. The first, I'm wondering... What does the future look like for millennials in the job market? And specifically, are games Mm. the way that we can think about like some of the bigger challenges related to mental health, job hopping, retention? Are games the path? What do you what's your thoughts? Yeah. So not only millennials, but also Gen Zers, right? We're about to make up 70 percent of this workforce in less than two years. So. The thing about Gen Zers are they've never known a world without technology. And then for millennials, most of our life has been with technology. Like, so we talk about that human connectivity aspect of thing and those people skills, like I said, those human skills. And we're the generations that probably have some of the most difficulty with them because we've been so technically enabled and driven and things like that. And so now we're seeing with that workforce, because especially with Gen Zers, they're like, I want that human interaction. I've always known people from like their DMs or seeing them online or something like that. How do I create th- those relationships and build up that th- those connections with people? I think for generations before us, work was never considered to be fun. It was not something that it was a means to an end. And it was, I'm going to have this pension. I'm going, like, if I stay here for 25 years, I'm going to be rewarded with all these different things. And so it doesn't have to be fun. I know the end game. But for millennials and now Gen Z, it's like, well, what's the end game? I don't have something promised at the end of this. I don't have anything coming up next. I need work to be fun. I need what I'm doing to be fun, learning to be fun. I need to like the people I'm doing this with. I need people to care about me and care about how my day is and how I'm showing up today. I want all these things. And so I took it back to when we were kids, we played, like we learned by playing. And so the biggest buzzword in the learning and development space in corporate America is gamification. And it is the way the future, because the main thing is we're talking about vulnerability and openness, but you have to get people to that in psychological safety. And you have to get people to that space. And games do that because it lowers that barrier, that guard, that armor. You're like, we're all like, we're all an equal playing field. We all have opportunities to win. And if you supply the game in the right way, and for us, like we have these games that are based on storytelling, but it gets the insight back about any type of, it could be technical information, but you're still, it's through storytelling and it just gets people to open up. So I do think like games are the way of the future. I was just at a conference with a bunch of chief learning officers and we asked like learning management systems, like how's that feel in the e-learning? And they're like, it's going by the wayside. Like that was the thing of the past. People want to have the interactiveness and engagement and not the siloed 
individual learning. It works. It still has its place. But we're at this next point where it's like, no, we need that interconnectivity. Yeah. It's almost like to me, people used you used to work for the gold watch, right? You get the gold watch, you retire. But it's almost like now what we really need are golden yep. moments every mm -hmm. day, right? Like I don't need the gold watch. I just need to like yes. enjoy these golden moments. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Question, philosophical yeah. question number two, the bonus. I got to say, I know quite a few aerospace engineers. One of my best friends is one of them. Like, And I would say high EQ is not something I normally ascribe. You have unbelievable EQ that, that you've developed through these over the years, clearly. So you're super in touch with this and with people. Mm -hmm. And that's why I want to ask you a question about diversity, equity, and inclusion, yeah. because I think this is a topic that we are needing increasingly to pay more attention mm -hmm. to. It seems like what you're doing is touching the space. How do we get better at this in corporate America? Oh, my goodness. So when we hear, I love this question, first of all, and I love how you phrased it. When we hear diversity, equity, inclusion, we often think of what's on the outside of people. How can we get more of those people into the room? And that's kind of where we stop. Like, we're like, we give them there, we allow them a space and things like that. And we'll constantly be like, okay, I'm a seat at the table, but I'm not welcomed or my voice and things like that. But I want to go beyond that because my whole thought process is we've heard about it. We hear about it a lot. But the main thing is how do we understand? So keep, well, our mission is to unlock understanding through play. But I, you heard me probably if, if you go back and listen to this again, any of the users and Count how many times Lauren has used the word understand or understanding. That is my big deal there is that we need to understand the differences to understand the commonalities. Because so many things, we have a pathway called differences out loud that the result from it. So the focus metric is cultural intelligence. And we say cultural intelligence because everyone has a culture. And, and I mean, like your neighborhood you grew up in, like what schools you went to, that's a culture within the school, like all those different things. And so, so many times we put into a box what diversity, equity, inclusion looks like, but everyone is benefited by us being more culturally intelligent. And that falls into like being more culturally intelligent allows you to figure out where is the starting place for someone and how do I make it equitable so that we can provide them the higher box they need to see over the fence or that we can get them to like give them a head start here so that they have an opportunity of winning the race at the same time. And so it provides you that equitable state. And then the inclusion, inclusion is really like, yeah, I let you be here, but belonging is the big thing. So now we hear diversity, inclusion, belonging. And belonging is the biggest thing about that because you can have diversity, you can have equity, like, Equity, I think, is the hardest thing. So it's how do we figure out the equity? But you can't figure out the equity if people aren't belonging, if they don't even feel like they can belong there in the first place. We're not equitable. We can't get equity. And then the inclusion is like, okay, yeah, I'm included here, but I still can't get the equity if I don't belong. And so different, like that understanding of the differences, and it's not so much of the, it's, it's the fact of the matter that it can't just be hearing other people's stories that don't resonate with you or that you're like, that's a sad story or I get that, but you don't personally know them 
or it can't be one of those things where it's just the compliance training of here's what to say and what not to say, you know, the nomenclature of the current month, because that's constantly changing. So it's really training us up on being receptive to, oh, that used to be appropriate and allowed, but now it's not. And being able to not be defensive when someone is explaining that to you because you're becoming more culturally intelligent to now recognize, okay, that makes sense. And I should like, I should change that because although I think it's silly or it doesn't make sense or I don't get it, I want to make sure that this person can show up in the best way that they can possible. So I think that's the biggest play for that. Like, yes, make sure that you're including different people from all different backgrounds. Yes, make sure you're including different people from all the different ways of thinking, locations, all those things. But you can't stop there. You have to have the understanding of those people as well. I knew you were (laughs) going to have some good insights. That was great. That was really, by the way, just to throw a little challenge out there to you. Yeah, I know you're not usually the one to respond to challenges, but like, I think you should do a thought leadership piece on that. Like that is, there's so many great things you could un, just totally un, unravel there. And I mean, that's- I should, that's, that's a good big. challenge. That's, I'm going to do that. I'm going to challenge accepted. Yeah, I thought challenge you might. Accepted. <laughs> awesome, Lauren. All right, you've been, a, you've been a, just an absolute pleasure as a guest. I have one okay. more question for you. And that is, so you received a Women in Technology Rising yeah. Star Award. But was that last, was that 20? No, was I that? received I that one. Oh my gosh. I received that one was that way, way back? back. And then I also well, okay. recently received an Impact Award. Yeah, recent. there was a it, impact Women's award. Impact that's Award. Yeah, it was a DEI yeah. Impact Award, I believe. Yes. So, I mean, clearly a woman that is doing, you know, just amazing things in, in along her journey. But you're also a yeah. mom. And for AC and Rory, like as a mom and that for other other moms out there that are entrepreneurs, by the way, hi, mom, I love you. <laughs> My mom listens to the podcast, yeah. so we got to do a little mom call out. What advice would you give to moms that are trying to do and, you know, what you've done, trying to start yes. companies? What advice would you have for moms out there that are founders? I think so for me, because I'm unique and I have all the different things that I like to tell people. I'm like, the only thing I don't have is like, I'm not in the LGBTQ community because I'm like, I'm a woman. I'm a minority. I am a solo founder. I am a mom. Like I have all these different things that are stacked up against me, but that I persevere through like you, you, you get the strength yes. from and it I do. Too. And I actually like where does that like badge of honor type of thing? Like it also makes me be like, OK, if I'm doing this, you should be able to do it. Too. <laughs> like, yeah, that's my mentality with it. But how I think about it with moms is because I often get the question of how do you balance it? And I'm like, I, I don't like it's constantly it's a day in a day out and like reevaluating what's the most important thing is for that given moment in time. And that's been a hard, that's something I'm constantly working on. I am a therapist. Like I, I see her every other week and had a, had a session right before this. And so it's something that I'm constantly working on. So it's a self-work. But for moms that are looking to start it, I would say, remember your mom. Like you st- you've started a business already, your family. That is a business. Like everything that you have to put into that training, like Your children are the colleagues that you're leading, like as a CEO, like you have to plan the meals, you have to clean the house, like you are doing, like you're setting the budget, like you, you have to go and talk to the different teachers that are like, 
your people that you're selling things to. You like you, it, you've done all the different components and you didn't even know you've done them. And so I would say think of it think of it from that perspective. If you're a little nervous or if you're like, should I do this? Shouldn't I? You weren't ready to have a kid. But look at how great you are now. So yeah, that's what I would say. So <laughs> awesome. Lauren, I got to say, if there ever was an episode that I want to just go back and do all over again, because it was so much fun, then this is probably it. But maybe I'm also super excited to see where you go and where you yeah. follow. So maybe like we'll fast forward a couple seasons and we'll have you back. Maybe it'll be our first guest you ever repeat because I, I can't wait to see where this I would love that. This was a blast. You're very engaging. So I had a great time. So thank you so much for having me, Les. Thanks. Thanks, Lauren. And just to conclude, could you please tell our audience where they could find you and Keep Wool? Yes. So you can find me, Lauren. I have a personal website. So LaurenFitzpatrickShanks.com. And then you can find Keep Wool at KeepWool.com. And we are on all social media platforms. Just search Keep Wool and you'll find us. Thanks, Lauren. We'll keep wondering out loud. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.